Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. An episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as per usual, and this time engaging in ghostly warfare, some might say, is the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing today on arguably this most monumental day for the podcast? Yes, yes, in- indeed, yes. I was going to say I'm here like a thief in the night, but I'm not sure I want to associate myself with that episode, <laughs> so I immediately rescind that remark, and yeah, please insert something pithy about Starscream's ghost instead. There you go. But folks, just to get, just to almost cut to the chase from the beginning, today we are covering season three, episodes nine to eleven, which includes, as we have both alluded to, the, the namesake episode for this podcast, Starscream's Ghost. Then we have A Thief in the Night, and then Forever is a Long Time Coming, which I won't lie, Andy, we'll get to that. It's not it's not what I was expecting that episode based on that title, and I don't know what I was expecting going in. No, were you expecting it to be good? Because it's quite a good episode. <laughs> it's quite a good episode title. Like, that's a good, like, you know, movie name or something. So I was quite hyped of like, this feels like they put some thought into this. And it's like, mm, maybe not so much. But before we go any further, a quick little bit of housekeeping. If you are checking us out for the first time, first of all, thank you very much. You can find us on the likes of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. There is also a complete video version of this podcast available on YouTube. If you search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find our channel just fine. Also, when it comes to YouTube, it's worth noting that every single episode that we talk about the series when it comes to Transformers G1, we are watching on Hasbro Pulse's YouTube channel. It's a 100% legitimate way to watch all of the episodes of the Transformers cartoon. And that channel is also dictating the ordering which we're watching these episodes, Andy. Which, based on what you alluded to in our last podcast, it seems like the episode numbering on Hasbro Pulse may have done a bit of a number on us this week when it comes to finishing off a particular story. Yeah, yeah, I I not kind of checked ahead to see whether there was any deviation there because, yeah, like, there's kind of... Starstream's ghost is kind of not quite the end of that story, basically, to kind of, like, get ahead of ourselves a bit. So I was like, oh, okay, cool, well, I guess, you know, we'll we'll bounce straight into, you know, the follow-up to that. But no, much like Dark Awakening promising... Come back tomorrow for the return of Optimus Prime. <laughs> and I came back tomorrow and Optimus Prime is still gone. So I'm very upset. Um, but I guess we'll we'll get there in the end. Indeed. And you know what? Let's just let's roll straight into it, as it were. So let's kick things off with season three, episode nine, Starscream's Ghost. We begin on Junkion, with someone who we come to learn was exiled from the Decepticons, the now former Decepticon. Octane. Now, I'm just going to put this out there, Andy. At this point, I had no flipping clue who Octane was. To be quite frank, after all three of these episodes, I still don't know who the heck Octane is. (laughs) But in terms of just like a random storyline development, who like someone who's already been exiled and to sort of skip ahead a little bit here, Galvatron basically wants him assassinated. I felt like there was a very big missing piece of the puzzle here right from the get-go on this episode. Yeah, I I can't remember whether this is just some weird like dream I had, but I feel like we saw some of Octane in a previous episode this season because I, I I feel like I almost remember you making a specific comment about like what's the deal with this guy and then this is sort of the deal with this guy that he's basically 
he's in this sort of weird, you know, place where he's like a traitor, uh, which, yeah, like, it's a really interesting plot point. Like, I really like it because we've had a few sort of treacherous Decepticon moments. Like, you know, we had Blitzwing during, like, Five Faces of Darkness, Starscream, obviously, like, that was his thing. Um, but, like, you know, it's never really come to the point where someone's been sort of excommunicated from the Decepticons. It's always been a, like, well, I guess we'll let you get away with it this time. But, like, Octane clearly riled somebody well i guess it's not that difficult to roll a galvatron up but he riled somebody <laughs> up in, in in such a way that he's actually been sort of banished and he's sort of in this interesting place where he's kind of like he's not an, he's he's like very clear like i'm not just gonna become an autobot like that's not my that's not my gig i'm, I'm not into that but i don't mind like hanging out with some of you guys some of you are cool to go for a drink with and it's sort of it's a really interesting interesting little bit of sort of character work that I, I do quite like around this episode. Yeah, and if anything, one thing that these episodes do actually, I'm going to say establish more, is an actual sort of general through line for certain stories of certain characters. Like, throughout these episodes, which we'll be getting onto in, in the coming moments and hours, as it were, there, there are actually callbacks to things that have previously happened, which I really like, because that's an element which we've talked about before, that Sometimes it feels like very kind of monster of the week or it's one and done. Are we ever going to see it again? And these three episodes today are actually decent examples of if you watched it the whole time, there are actually some fun callbacks. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's interesting at this point that it feels like quite a deliberate thing. Like, you know, again, we sort of talked about this in the past, how, you know, these kinds of cartoons, they're made for syndication where they're going to be on TV and, you know, TV channels are, once they've had their premiere, they're just going to show random episodes. A bit like watching on Hasbro Pulse sometimes, actually. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you know, and so there's a very deliberate attempt to always sort of reset everything. Um, and, you know, occasionally seasons one and two sort of break that a bit because they have something that they want to do. But season three seems like it's way more into the idea of like, hey, there's, there's, an, there's an order to events here. And, you know, th there is almost a need to watch it all in order, which, again, thanks, Hasbro Pulse. We're not always making that easy. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is an interesting sort of kind of deviation from the first two seasons where it does feel like there's more character through lines coming through. And another point, which actually I've got a, actually in my notes coming up in a second, is that I genuinely thought Octane, to begin with, was a really bad looking Blitzwing. I mean, it's fair. Like, he, he is another triple changer. Like, you know, it's like, have they just drawn Astro Train badly? Like, what's 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 the deal with this guy? And he, he is a character that, like, you know, I remember the toy of, but I don't remember him ever really getting much play or much to do in, like, the comic books or anything. Like, he was more just a character that was there. So that was the other interesting angle of this for me. Is like, oh, like, not only is Octane in this, but he's kind of, like, an important plot point as well. Um, so yeah, it kind of, kind of a fascinating start to this, this episode. Yeah. And the other reason I mentioned kind of reminded me of Blitzwing was because as you mentioned a few moments ago in Five Faces of Darkness, Blitzwing was, was ousted from the Decepticons at the very end of that five-parter. So that's why I thought, oh cool, a Blitzwing follow-up. And it's like, oh, it's not just a badly drawn Blitzwing. So <laughs> we're Astro Train, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 indeed. So, uh, so yeah, but it's, uh, we're, we're, and, and I believe this is this is not the only sort of octane time we get in these these episodes. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting to see him in here as a, as a character, given given some time. Also, gotta say, Octane is actually just a good name for a Transformer. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, also there's an Apex Legends character called Octane. Is so yeah. It's it's just a good name for things. Call something Octane, like especially if it's you know, if it goes fast or is sort of somewhat vehicle based, then yeah, Octane, <laughs> good name. So Octane is now making a living, basically freighting scrap, scrap metal, excuse me, from Junkion for the Autobot, as you were talking about, Andy. Kind of likes to hang out with the Autobots a little bit, which we get to see some more of in a few moments. However, his past catches up to him when a vengeful Galvatron has hired an alien bounty hunter, a Skuxoid specifically, to assassinate him. We see the Skuxoid arriving on Junkion, snooping around, and planting a piece of scrap metal with a bomb attached to it that is ultimately loaded into Octane's ship. Octane says, that's enough, let's get a move on. And then a Junkion responds with, best to you each morning, Octane. To which Octane says, I'd probably be a, j a jerk too if I was made of junk. <laughs> which I'll be honest, Andy, I just thought, what a dick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like he's, you can kind of see why he doesn't want to join the Autobots. He's kind of like, you know, still a bit more of a Decepticon at heart. Because, yeah, you can't, you can't really be an Autobot and get away with just slagging people off randomly like that. Just after Octane leaves the planet junk, there is a surreal moment where Octane is seemingly trying to tune the TV to a particular channel. And I... F <laughs> I'm going to call it like it is, Andy. It's a big breasted Transformer on screen that looks like a knockoff version of RC. Did you notice yeah. this as well? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to notice. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not even a kind of quiet little in the background. And again, reminder, everybody, kids cartoon. Um, and, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about the sort of more adult themes of this series. But yeah, I was not expecting Octane to kind of, you know bring up, like, you know, transformerpornhub.com or whatever he was doing. It was like, oh, okay, well, this is... I mean, you know, it's Octane living his best life. Like, it's fine. And, you know, he's got a lot of time on his hands. Also fine. But, yeah, also, like, kids cartoon people. Come on. <laughs> but that is quickly interrupted by Octane's cargo ship exploding because the bomb that was planted went off. Fortunately, fortunately though... Octane is merely just blown away from the explosion. How? I'm not going to question, but that's what happens. But he knows instantly this is Galvatron's doing and is rescued by a passing transport ship. Octane then asks the strange inhabitants of the ship to take him to Autobot City, not Metroplex, if that's on your bingo card, where he will be safe. Enraged by this failure, we see that Galvatron then dispatches the Combaticons to track, to track, excuse me, and eliminate the exiled Decepticon. Fearing for his life, Octane then takes refuge with the Autobots on Earth and seeks the advice from his friend, Sandstorm. Now, Andy, this is the debut of Sandstorm, right? Or I'm not dreaming this and just forgot the guy. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I don't recall whether he's had some, like, you know, background appearance, but certainly I think it's, it's definitely the first time he's been named. So, yeah, this is, this is our, our Sandstorm debut as well. Indeed, and Sandstorm, for those who aren't aware, is a helicopter which, as I've put it, leaves an almighty trail of, of well, sand. I was going to say smoke, but that doesn't make sense given the name. And also can transform into seemingly a dune buggy as well, which I thought was a cool triple changer type thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were being cruel, you could say he's a pan shop springer, but I mean, you know, he's... <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's also kind of like, I feel like, you know smokescreen v2 because it's like it's smokescreen but sand um which you know is kind of probably doubly irritating compared to having smoke everywhere 
Now, there was a fun moment at the start of the scene involving these two, which I, I want to uh, I want to try and recreate, Andy. Not literally, because I might hurt myself, but I'm going to try this. So, I'm telling you that the Decepticons are after me. I need protection, says Octane as he trips over a rock. Whoa, you sure you're fully recovered from the explosion there, Octane buddy? Says Sandstorm. I heard a noise. I just wasn't watching where I was going, says Octane as he just shoves Sandstorm out of the way. Really good friend, right? Flippin' heck. Then we hear a little noise in the background and Octane says, There it is again. We're being watched. Sandstorm responds with, Oh, Octane, now you're hearing things. Don't worry, it's normal to be a little jittery. Gee, maybe you should head back for extensive repairs. To which Octane just responds with, I'm fine. <laughs> and then Sandstorm ends with, But you are an older model. You should probably start taking it a little easier. <laughs> All I can think of, Andy, is who likes these two? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can kind of see why they hang out together, I guess. This is like a sort of grumpy old men thing of just like they're the only people that can tolerate one another. I, mean, I quite like some of the little kind of like intimations and kind of riffs in there because I'm pretty sure in terms of like toy lines, like Octane is like a generation older than Sandstorm. And it feels like there's a very deliberate writing there of like, well, you're an older model of like literally you're an older toy than me. So, haha. Um, but yeah, like o Octane... I made a note that Octane falls over quite a lot in this episode. He, he does like fall <laughs> over repeatedly, which is sort of it's a weird thing because it's sort of it, it gets played up there as a like ah oh, he's you know too paranoid, but it also just feels like maybe you know maybe he's on the Energon as well because it's just like he does trip over quite a lot. So as you've just heard from the dialogue, I just I uh, I read out loud there. Sandstorm just doesn't believe what Octane is saying, despite the fact that we, the viewer, can actually see that they are being watched. But they end up changing locations where they are ambushed. And now there's a lot of gunfire, sorry, laser fire, excuse me, happening at this point. And we then get the following dialogue exchange. Sandstorm saying, they missed me. Octane responding with, that's because they weren't shooting at you, they're after me. And then Sandstorm responding with, Let's see. And he pokes his head out from behind a wall to see what happens. Nothing. Then Octane appears in shot. And then suddenly they just start shooting wildly. <laughs> and Sandstorm says, No two ways about it, buddy. You've got to do something about your popularity. <laughs> there are some great quips in this episode. I really like it. Then the two end up escaping with Octane rising in... Uh, sorry, with Octane riding inside Sandstorm's helicopter form, making a giant dust cloud in the process. Octane then saying while inside the cockpit, Ha ha! Eat my dust! To which Sandstorm says, Actually, that's my dust. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to space, where both of them are now on board another ship of some kind, as I wrote it, because I actually couldn't figure out where this ship came from. Just to pause there for a second, Andy, a lot's been established so far in this episode. Some of it interesting, some of it less so. Octane I'm and Sandstorm, I'm still not sure at this point if I actually like either of them. But I do like the fact this feels very different. And like we said, the character through line about an exiled Decepticon trying to be assassinated. It's something different, and that actually works very well so far, despite my, mis my sort of uh, shortcomings I've mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like it as a concept, even, you know, I, I think regardless of what you think of the characters, just the, again, I've talked about this in the past, how I, I like it where you have these like Autobot Decepticon relationships where it's sort of like, hey, 
it's kind of a, a reminder that they're all kind of transformers at the end of the day and, and b you know th there's some really interesting dynamics and this is kind of one of those um like i'm i'm not sure it's sort of weird comedy assassin skit kind of works all that well and certainly at this point in the episode i'm sitting here double checking like wait this episode is called starscream's ghost right <laughs> and thus far we've not seen starscream or any ghosts like what <laughs> when am i gonna get my money's worth um which was just me being impatient i guess but yeah like it's it's a pretty pretty decent start to the episode and i kind of i like the general vibe of what it's going with the two triple changes stop and refuel at what the TF Wiki described, Andy, as a neutral alien space station, which I think is very diplomatic. Sandstorm notes that notes that the food there is the usual slop that's high in static. <laughs> I liked that as a line, <laughs> which is really good. And they use the time to discuss the situation at the adjoining diner. Now, the skuxoid that we saw earlier is back, the, assass the assassin, if you will. Having tracked them there and anticipated their arrival, he poses as a host and ushers them into the diner that I mentioned. As they enter, we see some of the seated customers getting into a fight, knocking over their own table. So Octane and Sandstorm just nonchalantly walk right by said table, pick it up and sit down where they were. They just take their table and seat, Andy. How rude. Now, a waitress delivers a plate and I felt this... But this is probably going to put into context, people, how my notes have gone this week. I'm just saying this. A waitress, Andy, delivers some Energon appetizers, complete even with cocktail umbrellas. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy. I did enjoy the fact that they also have cocktails in in, in Transformers <laughs> world. As they eat, Octane casually tells Sandstorm that Galvatron wants him dead because he quote interfered with Galvatron's orders, swiped Trypticon, and tried to become powerful enough to become the new leader of the Decepticons. Quote. Yeah, just 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 a minor misdemeanor, really. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is this is sort of like you know the Transformers equivalent of like stealing a tank and trying to invade Paris or something. It's like it's like uh, uh, all right, it's it's uh, and I like like the way he kind of he plays that off quite casually as well in the grand scheme of things of like well apart from that I didn't really do anything wrong and it's like well you know you stole the biggest Decepticon and tried to overthrow the entire leadership. That's kind of a big deal i would say <laughs> I, I did appreciate that they actually did just outright explain it though it was nice we actually got that explanation but and this kind of will play into when we talk about probably the next episode i assume andy in the yeah we've definitely then seen this out of order because that literally plays into what we see next time to a degree yeah yeah for sure so as this conversation is going on the skuxoid tries several times to kill octane but is thwarted by a series of farcical mishaps, including a blast from his gun being deflected into multiple objects, another alien eating his gun, him not being able to throw a grenade fast enough because other people are getting in his way, and then in frustration, he finally just charges at Octane, jumps on his shoulders, and just starts punching him in the back of the head repeatedly, basically saying something to the effect of, I've got a wife and kids, can you just die? 
Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I sort of quite like that as the ending point of the the skit, but uh, it, it does make you question. Like, we've seen the Stuxoids a few times. Why are people still hiring them as like assassins and like you know guns for hire? Because every single time they've kind of been a bit rubbish, um, and you know they, I don't think they've like successfully carried out any of their missions. They have like a zero percent hit rate, and it's like maybe you need to find yourself some better some better hitmen if this is what you're going for. They must have really good Google reviews or a trust pilot or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, they probably, maybe that's the one thing they are good at is like just gaming their kind of, their, their checker trades reviews and being like, no, no, really, really good. Just, just assassinates all the people all the time. Definitely. This is, this is a legitimate review. Definitely not posted from the Skuxoid's house. <laughs> You're sincerely Skuxoidy. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. So at this point, Octane basically just grabs the Skuxoid by the throat. And just says, who hired you? And eventually it's just, Galvatron! <laughs> yeah, the, 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 voice, the voice line for that is really great as well. Because it is very much just exactly that. Octane at this point decides he should go deeper into hiding. So at this point we are now heading to Cybertron. However, Cyclonus, Scourge and the Sweeps are now sneaking into Cybertron. Flying into like, the smoke that's being made by a freighter. And to add some more context, Octane is already on Cybertron at this point, which I was confused about, Andy, because I thought they were following a freighter that he was on to begin with. So that, that confused me a tad. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not made very clear. Um, what, what is made very clear is that, like, Cybertron's air defences are pretty terrible. Like, how many times is this now that the Decepticons have just basically kind of rolled in under some kind of pretense or some kind of cover, and every time they just get waved straight through? It's like, guys, <laughs> come on, like, you've won Cybertron back, at least look after it. You've got one job to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It should also be noted that through dialogue while they're sneaking onto Cybertron, Cyclonus suggests that he would much rather attack honourably than sneaking in. So I like that little character detail there. Something nice to follow up on. When the attacking Decepticons pin him down, that being Octane, Octane tries to seek shelter in what appears to be kind of like a, at first, like a giant sewer system type drainage pipe sort of thing. However, Andy... Kind of in a way, having the reverse of what we saw in Dark Awakening, we end up in a Decepticon crypt, which I was not expecting to see. No, no, in indeed. I, I also have questions of like... If I, I wonder has... if your question is going to be the exact same one I've got. I'll let you take the lead on this. I mean, my, my, my question like, is, if, if Cybertron needs like sewage systems, like, does that mean Transformers go to the toilet? That's my important question. <laughs> Because I like, you know, it just it just got me thinking. It's like, you know, this is never covered in the show, but it it, it stands to reason that if they have sewers, then clearly they must have a, a requirement for them. Was that your question? <laughs> I clearly thought way too hard about my question. Then no, it wasn't my question. So my question was, and I'm again, I'm probably thinking way too hard about this. In theory. How and when was this crypt built, given that the Autobots now control Cybertron? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was my other question, but it was not as pressing as the toilet one for me. I mean, you're not wrong, um, but... Because, <laughs> yeah, well, because I'm also, like... It also... I, I guess if you think about it, like, in Transformers the movie, 
Like the Autobots have like been banished to the moons of Cybertron and they've yeah. lost control of Cybertron proper. And we see Starscream's coronation is on Cybertron, or we mm. assume it is, because it looks like it. And there are other statues in that in the background of that scene, right? Yeah. So I would assume that this that he was kind of, you know, as he died on Cybertron, he was effectively I was gonna say buried, but like I mean he was ready cremated <laughs> by Galvatron. <laughs> like you know, like like some kind of microwave ready meal. He was he was good to go. Um, so I guess you know he was on Cybertron. So yeah, you just put him in the the, the crypt. But an interesting footnote that somebody even bothered to be quite honest, given it was Starscream. But anyway, the, the other thing again, I've really thought way too hard about this. I'm just saying this now. The other sort of statue or like monument or whatever to another Decepticon that is outright named checked is Thundercracker. Isn't Thundercracker now one of the sweeps, if I remember correctly? Or Scourge? Yes, yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the, the kind of, like, you know, Seeker Jets or, or the sweeps. But, I mean, again, this is this is that weird sort of technicality, much like the Galvatron Megatron thing of, like, is is that character dead, technically? Mm. Like, you know, how, how does that work, even in terms of their memories, etc., etc.? Um, so, yeah, like, I, and I mean, I guess... I guess if that was built by the kind of remaining Decepticons, then they wouldn't really know any different and would just assume he was dead. Oh, I mean, regardless, a weird Transformer to make your kind of statue of. Um, you know, I mean, nothing against Thundercracker. I love the guy, but, you know, maybe not kind of like top tier Decepticon, you know, troops compared to, you know, some of, some of the, the, other, the other fallen in that uh, time span. I mean, maybe they were thinking, much like how kind of the toys work, Andy, that because it's effectively the same model, yeah. maybe they could do the original Seeker jets like it's like a three, it's like a three manufactured bit. Yeah, yeah, you just color it for whichever one that you you want at any given point in time, and yeah, it's the three for the price of one. Yeah, I mean that that's fair. Like you know, good good money saving technique. <laughs> this conversation. So so Thundercracker is specifically name checked and while sort of trying to figure out what place he's in he tries to move some feet from a plinth that he walks across and then he responds but he responds to himself doing this by saying who is it come out sweep I hope it's a sweep ah who's that <laughs> because at this point Octane is somewhat transforming into a vehicle mode of his <laughs> yeah I <laughs> I don't know how to describe I, I, this. No, I, I mean, literally all I wrote was like, what's up with the weird transformation? Because I'm not quite sure. I think what they're going for is that, yeah, he's so kind of panicked that he doesn't can't even decide which mode to transform into and kind of ends up in this weird, like, I've transformed into both at once state. But because it's not really backed up by anything, and because this is season three of Transformers and you can never tell whether it's an atrocious animation error or an actual, like, deliberate ploy, it's like, I don't know what's going on here. And then we hear a very familiar voice, which I won't lie, Andy, when I heard this voice, it, it, it was a brilliantly warm feeling inside of me. <laughs> it, was, it was harkening back to days of old. We hear the, we hear the words, It's your old buddy Starscream! <laughs> just a shadow of my former self, don't you think? To which Octane just responds by literally shouting, Starscream! <laughs> and then Starscream just responding with, Why, Octane, old friend, I'm touched, you remember me! Let me help you straighten yourself up. 
the ghost of Starscream is the only way I can describe this conspires with Octane saying that they have more in common than he may think. Mentioning he wants to get revenge on Galvatron for putting him in this quote-unquote insubstantial condition. Which I thought, Andy, was a fantastic line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, yeah, entirely accurate. So, fair, fair play. Octane agrees, and this is when we see some dissension amongst the ranks of the sweeps, Scourge and Cyclonus, who eventually go into the crypt, but the idea of going down there and in there, it, it, it's it's quite it's quite a moment, Andy. Like I sort of thought, oh, okay, are the sweeps gonna like turn on Scourge and Cyclonus? Because Cyclonus is just like Scourge, sort your bloody troops out. <laughs> I mean, to to be fair, if you were like the Thundercracker that got made into a sweep, and you knew that your own like body was immortalized there like i don't i i would feel a bit ooky about it and you know there's probably some weird like temporal paradox thing going on there so you know <laughs> quite quite right to question like do we do we have to can someone else do this for us that's fair i should ask actually before going any further what did you think of uh, of star screams return to the screen as it were i think it's weird like having this like so soon after Dark Awakening in our like episode order, mm. because you have this sort of very dark, very kind of horror tinged, like you know, Return of Optimus Prime that, like we say, is a proper sort of like body horror moment. And this is sort of like the Scooby Doo version of that, where it's just like you know, weird ghost thing, and it doesn't feel like it has quite the care and attention that was given to Optimus Prime's kind of dark return. It's just like, oh, I guess Starscream's a ghost now. And it's like, you know, I don't understand how that works. I'm kind of like, well, cool, Starscream's back, so I guess I'm here for it, but also this is weird, and I'm not quite sure what we're doing here. Yeah. Another thing I will add to that is, I totally agree with what you said, but there is a part of me that almost thinks, in terms of tone this is actually fairly appropriate for Starscream. Because when, I mean, when you yeah. think of it from the perspective of Optimus Prime and it being like a very serious matter, it makes a lot of sense. And obviously how dark it gets is what's most surprising. But it almost being like this weird... Oh, this is a weird thing to bring up on here, but like almost like a random Hopkirk deceased type thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I I would be up for like a, a, a Transformers spin-off for that. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, ultimately Starscream is a troll, so being a ghost is probably the best possible like outcome for the, the artist formerly known as Starscream. <laughs> now, I also feel the need to mention this line, Andy. Because Cyclonus is, like, walking through the crypt, like, through the statues and whatnot, and can clearly see feet, quote-unquote, of Octane appearing from behind a pillar. To which I think this is, might be my new favourite insult in Transformers lore. How dare you disgrace your ancestors by cowering like a pocket computer! Yeah, I, I, I wrote that line all in caps in my notes because <laughs> I also in, enjoyed that immensely. It's, it's a very good line. At this moment, the ghost of Starscream walks up behind Cyclonus, disappears into dust, as I phrased it, and then just takes control of him. And in the first line of dialogue we hear, in Starscream's voice, is, it's nice to have a body again. <laughs> so having successfully captured Cyclonus's body, Starscream then proceeds to 
capture, quote-unquote, the runaway Octane. We then hear that they are now going to be heading back to Char. It's also at this point, it's established that Starscream can take on the voice of both Cyclonus and himself, which will play into an upcoming moment. That moment being the following. The Decepticons are trying to escape in the air, but obviously they're still on Cybertron. And the Autobot sensors pick them up, and then the Autobots go to pursue them. Intent on protecting Octane, because at this point, he's kind of like, I guess, what? A political prisoner? I don't know. Like, how do we phrase Octane at this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess he's a prisoner of war, or like, technically speaking, maybe. I don't know how this works. <laughs> I mean, either way, he is, he is chained up, and the four sweeps are basically just like, in like a square shape, keeping him from going anywhere. Which leads to the following dialogue exchange, Andy, while they are flying through the, the night skies of Cybertron. Octane says, They've spotted us! To which Starscream slash Cyclonus says, Whatever would we do without a powerful intellectual like you along? <laughs> I've missed Starscream so much. At this moment, Sandstorm arrived to try and help his friend Octane, and this is where Starscream makes his first mistake, and I alluded to this a moment ago, because he shouts something, but doesn't mask his voice to sound like Cyclonus. And the sweeps notice this, and immediately think, that sounded a lot like Starscream. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, of all the voices in Transformers, like, Starscream is pretty high on the kind of, like, recognisable end of the scale, so yeah, it's like... <laughs> Quite a grave error to, to make that, that goof so quickly. With Sandstorm now taken out of commission by Cyclonus slash Starscream, the aerial bots are now in pursuit. Everyone touches down on the ground a bit further away, and Rodimus, Cup, and Magnus also arrive. Now we have a proper fight on our hands. Rodimus confronts Cyclonus, and then when he hears his voice... Of course, immediately recognises it's Starscream. This is kind of the ongoing gag, which I appreciate they're actually acknowledging that. Starscream effectively makes a deal with Rodimus. He says he will promise him a bonus, whatever that means in the grand scheme of things, if he lets him go, and Rodimus agrees, much to the other Autobots' confusion. I like the fact that Rodimus didn't even go, wait, how were you in Cyclonus? Yeah, yeah. It feels like he should have a lot of questions at this point, but he's just like, oh, okay, cool, sure. Like, I mean, even even the idea of making a deal with Starscream is probably something that you might want to question and 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 ponder for a moment. But he's just like, nah, cool, yeah, this this sounds sounds good. Which is it is sort of interesting in a way. You know, again, it's one of those big sort of differences between like Optimus Prime and Rodimus Prime in terms of you know the way they handle things and I I do again talking about through lines I do kind of like that that when it comes to decision making like it's a very different era for the Autobots in terms of how things get done um, and this feels like another example of it where it's like yeah sure if it gets results then yeah go do your thing Starscream. We now go back to Char, where Cyclonus brings the cowering Octane to Galvatron. Galvatron is initially furious that the exiled Decepticon is not destroyed, but Cyclonus convinces Galvatron that the traitor should be interrogated for, for any information he might have learned amongst the Autobots. Cyclonus 
in the torture chamber, as it were, puts on quite a show torturing Octane. We get some proper, like, hammed-up acting here, which was really great fun. And eventually, Octane says he will reveal a secret and tell what he knows. The two conspirators take Galvatron to a location where Rodimus Prime is, and it appears to just be alone, vulnerable, what's going to happen? Galvatron then says, I have lived all my life for this day. Which my next note was, Andy. It's only been about a year at this point, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, at this point, the way I've described this, and feel free to change this or correct me if I'm wrong, Andy. This feels like the first post-movie equivalent of the Heavy Metal War episode, which had the big fight between Optimus Prime and Megatron. That's kind of what this felt like, because Galvatron's mentioning, ah, we, we should fight honourably, and things like that. And that's kind of what made me... That's what it made me think of, first of all, obviously minus the blatant cheating that was involved in Heavy Metal War. But it had that that air about it, and I actually thought, oh, like this is this is some big deal stuff here. I'm actually game for this. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we've not really had this particular face-off like since the end of the movie either. Like, you know, the the two the two sort of leaders have basically kept apart. Like, I'm trying to think if they've really shared any screen time at all. I don't think they have. Um, Aside from nothing. when they're by the big Transformers off switch in Five Faces yeah, of Darkness, maybe yeah, that. And, yeah, and even that, yeah, that doesn't kind of turn into, you know, any, any fisticuffs or anything. It's all kind of, you know, extraneous to, to the two of them. So, yeah, there is there is an interesting angle to that of like, oh, this is, you know, th- this is, this is a, potentially a big moment. Galvatron attacks Rodimus and a short battle ensues, but it pauses when he realises that several more Autobots have come out of hiding and all have their guns pointed at him. Rodimus Prime then waves to Cyclonus and Octane as they just abandon Galvatron and fly away. We then go back to Char and the, the throne room, if you will, of Galvatron's lair there, where Cyclonus... <laughs> It's really weird having to say it like that, but sure. Cyclonus slash Starscream and Octane are in there, gloating about their successful ambush. But then out of nowhere, Andy, Galvatron appears just really battle-damaged. And there was part of me that's thinking, have I just had like a time skip or something? Like, did I just pass out and miss a really big element of the story here? What just happened? Yeah, and th- th- this feels like one of the things that, that kind of happens repeatedly with this episode, where it feels like you, you get to something interesting, and then it's just sort of like, th- the resolution to it, or the, the movement on to the next thing is really kind of half-baked, because yeah, like that's a big moment, again, that's a big moment on, on a bunch of, of scales, because like, as mentioned, you've got that Galvatron versus Rodimus fight, there's an interesting turning of the tables there of just like, again, Optimus Prime would have been like, no, let's make this a fair fight. Whereas Rodimus was like, no, screw it. Let's just like, let's just gang up on him and use the this opportunity as an adv- to our advantage. And yeah, the intimation here is that they've all kind of wailed on him. Um, but yeah, the fact that we don't get to see it is kind of galling because it's like, well, that feels like that was kind of important. It's like, it's 2006. We're doing this different. Yeah. <laughs> So Galvatron is back, and this is when Starscream reveals his identity to the Decepticon leader, who just fires at Cyclonus, just pretty much blows up his chest. But at that point, the ghost of Starscream exits Cyclonus's body. The gunshot Cyclonus mumbles that the last thing he remembers was being in the Decepticon crypt, and Galvatron then orders Cyclonus be repaired. 
and Scourge acknowledges the command, but then giggles with Starscream's voice as an image of the ghost appears slightly over the face of Scourge. And we effectively, at this point, get a to-be-continued moment, which, I suppose in essence, Andy, kind of harkening back to something that you made mention of earlier, it's somewhat appropriate that Starscream has now possessed Scourge, given that Scourge was one of the old Seeker Jets. Yeah, yeah. What goes around comes around, I guess. But but yeah, so that was a to-be-continued moment. And uh, as you're about to find out in a few moments, everybody, we do not get the follow-up next, <laughs> based on the ordering that we're watching. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a particularly weird one, yeah, between this and Dark Awakening. They're both kind of, you know, things that, that promise a bit more, and then we don't get the bit more. Um, and it's particularly, I, I feel like it's more unfortunate in this case, because this this feels kind of super half-baked when you get to the end of this episode, because it all just kind of wraps up very quickly, and you're just like, oh, well, we've not really gotten anything much out of this, but clearly there's there's potentially more to come that, that may be more fulfilling for us. So it's now time to venture to the TF wiki, just to kind of get a few additional notes that might help with some context, or even maybe Andy help clarify when the heck we're getting the follow-up to this. So first of all, the episode is the first appearance of Starscream's ghost, obviously. And apparently he will reappear in the follow-up episode, Ghost in the Machine. Mm -hmm. Though, according to the TF Wiki, the details don't quite line up. (laughs) (laughs) So the Decepticons have a dark sense of humour. Starscream's marker in the Decepticon Chris consists in the Decepticon's crypt, excuse me, consists of nothing but his boots, in an apparent homage to his death in the movie, wherein his legs were the only part of him not seen to be crumbling to ash. I hadn't put two and two together like that. That's a nice little detail. Yeah, it is really good. I I also like to imagine that the way that came out is like, oh, you know, we we should make, you know, like a, a statue of him. And everyone's like... I just can't remember what he looks like. It's like, oh, well, we'll just have to go with what we got. And that's, that's all there is. <laughs> now, apparently, and I didn't notice all of these, because we mentioned Thundercracker was one of the other markers in the crypt. Apparently, there was also Megatron and seemingly Dirge in there as well. Yeah, okay. I mean, that that, that would, would make sense, because, yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw Dirge getting tossed out to become one of the, the, uh, the sweeps as well. And obviously, yeah, we, we know what happened to Megatron. So, uh, in terms of Starscream's ghost as, like, a concept or a character, outside this original cartoon, the ghost of Starscream would also appear, apparently, in the fourth issue of the 2010 manga and in the Battle of the Stargate manga. And a decade later would also be in an episode of Beast Wars under the name, well, in the episode named Possession. He's also put in more recent appearances in issues of the Information Administration Teletran 15 Go Go Comics. That's clearly a Japanese thing. Absolutely. Oh god, apparently he's also in the Kiss Players radio drama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of, of, of course. And also, I actually really want to see this now. I'm I'm immensely curious about this. He is also in the Transformers Cross Evangelion online story as Angel Scream. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see this. 
Yeah, it, it, it is kind of the interesting thing how, like, you know, regard. I, I can never quite tell, you know, when people talk about, like, this episode and the idea of Starscream's ghost, whether it's kind of out of out of love or out of a kind of, like, sense of poking fun. But either way, like, it's definitely an idea that has kind of stuck with people, but for obvious reasons, I guess. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how it's been leaned on, like, across various media as a result. So, some additional notes on this. Several clues indicate that the uh, the episode was originally scripted to feature Blitzwing in Octane's role, following on from the conclusion of Five Faces of Darkness Part 5 when he was banished from the Decepticons and offered a place among the Autobots by Rodimus, though he declined. An internal Sumbo cast document for this episode lists Blitzwing and not Octane. When Octane relates the reasons for his banishment, he quotes Galvatron's words to Blitzwing that he would, quote-unquote, never be welcome in the ranks of the Decepticons again. So this is all lining up, Andy, that it was actually meant to be Blitzwing. Mm -hmm. There is another note here which actually relates to the next episode we're going to talk about today, so I won't mention this one now, Just and I'll, I'll make sure to come back to this one. So, okay, regarding the weird-looking transformation bit when Octane sees Starscream... They've got noted here, when Octane first sees Starscream, he is paralyzed in, in terror halfway between truck and robot mode. Starscream even remarks that he needed to be straightened up, and this reflects Blitz, Blitzwing's on-package bio, which states that he often gets stuck in mid-transformation. That is true. I'd, I'd forgotten that that's in his tech specs. So. <laughs> <laughs> so why was Octane swapped in and Blitzwing out? Simply put, it's almost certainly because Octane was a new toy. Though Blitzwing was still on shelves in 1986, he had plenty of promotion in Season 2, Octane's only other advertisement in the show was the Thief in the Night episode, indicating the older toy got bumped for the newer one. Yeah, the, the, the classic reason why so many things happen in this cartoon. This episode's dialogue script ascribes all of Sandstorm's dialogue to Springer! <laughs> As mentioned, handshop Springer. <laughs> While it's tempting to think that, like Octane, his character was consciously switched to feature a toy to be promoted in only one other, other episode in the series, the script was evidently written up using the finished episode rather than the actual recording script. So it's probably just a, trans, a transcription error, excuse me. The aforementioned early cast list that included Blitzwing instead of Octane has the role, has the role filled by Sandstorm. So there you go. There's um, it, honestly, it actually makes a lot of sense. A lot of that, and like I say, there's one more note which I'll come back to when we've when we're done talking about the next episode. But the fact that we both thought this feels like it should be Blitzwing, and it should have been, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. It, it sort of makes me wonder, like, whether the the next and maybe maybe this is part of the thing, like whether the next episode was kind of shoehorned in to try and make all of this make canonical sense when it was clearly supposed to be Blitzwing or not. So from there, everybody, it's time we move on to our next episode. That being in the order that we're watching these on Hasbro Pulse, Season 3, Episode 10, Thief in the Night. Oh, oh boy, an, an, an episode so bad that it caused a member of the cast to quit. <laughs> Let's, we'll get onto that, Andy, because I had a feeling this was the episode. So an infamous episode. Here is what occurred. Rodimus Prime, Grimlock, Perceptor, and the Aerial Bot are reviewing footage of Metroplex's battle with Trypticon during the conclusion of Five Faces of Darkness. 
I want to say from the outset, Andy, continuing what we were mentioning from the last episode, that there's like a nice through line of things. And if you watch previous episodes, things actually have a consequence or a follow-up. It is a genuinely refreshing change to see that. Yeah, I, I also just like the idea that kind of like the Autobots gather and just have like a post-match analysis <laughs> of just like, you know, it, it, again, feels like a bit of a change from like, you know, Optimus Prime to Rodimus Prime, you know, he's he's all about the data analysis and just like, well, let's sit down and, you know, let's let's review the footage, let's look at the optostats of this of this battle and see, you know, what, what we could have done better, let's see what happens here, let's review performances. Grimlock declares that he has seen the footage of this ten times already and wants to get to the good part. <laughs> and that being where Metroplex, quote-unquote, scraps Trypticon, as Rodimus puts it, and then Teletran 2, yes everyone, Teletran 2, just here, nonchalantly, out of nowhere, I mean, really cool and all, but just there, sure thing, <laughs> wants clarification on this. And Teletrine actually says for clarification, Ah, yes, the bit where he pulverizes and, f and finishes him off forever. And then Teletrine says, That never happened. Trypticon survived. <laughs> it's just like, it was a little bit weird, this dialogue, but the bigger story here, Andy, is Teletrine 2. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the other bigger story, Teletrine 2 should probably have mentioned earlier that Trypticon is still alive <laughs> and not just kind of kept it for just like a throwaway card. Oh, by the way, actually, dude. Dude's not dead, because, you know, I mean, clearly quite an important kind of tactical bit of knowledge there. So, at this point, we then see Broadside, who is an aircraft carrier, who I want to say, Andy, is the, the Autobot that we saw slash didn't see in the Killing Jar kidnapping Cyclonus. Yeah, I seem to recall maybe. I mentioned that in passing when I was doing my research. Yeah, maybe. I, I was confused as to who this was in, in this episode as well, because it was like, yeah, to start with, you know, you sort of see him, like, you know, without any intro, and I'm like, I don't recognise who that is. Um, And I... It's not how we... I, I remember there being a broadside, but I didn't remember that being his kind of, like, transformed mode. But uh, there, there you go. You live and learn. So we have broadside and sea spray, everyone! Sea spray survived the movie! Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was, he was probably hanging out with his, like, you know, undersea girlfriends while all that was going on, I bet. So, he was probably on see... holiday, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, like, we didn't see any of him in the film, so he was staying, staying well away. They travelled to where Trypticon landed in the ocean when he was thrown by Metroplex into said ocean at the end of Five Faces of Darkness. We then get the line of, and I'm not doing the voice, Andy. I'm not going to try. <laughs> I'm just not going to try. But we get the line, triple swordfish. Trypticon must be the biggest dinosaur in creation. Look at the size of those footprints, says Sea Spray, as he sees giant footprints on the ocean floor. Meanwhile, it turns out that the triple changer Octane is nursing Trypticon back to health using Energon made from the oil of Carbombia. Or... As people seem to keep trying to pronounce this, Andy, Carbomia. Or Carbomia? Like, they kept trying to pronounce it in a different way that I can't actually remember off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like they tried to go with Carbomia, but it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's problematic. <laughs> you are generous, Andy, with that <laughs> statement. So generous. So, <laughs> I don't know why I wrote this down, but... Described as the quote-unquote African nation of Carbomia, a desert kingdom ruled by the controversial military commander Abdul Fakadi. 
This is this is said by a tour guide on a luxury cruise liner that's sailing nearby the coast. Now, uh, Andy, at this point, <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't know why I'm mentioning this. The, the, the cruise liner is attacked by Trypticon, basically, who is there just shooting out missiles and stuff. Him and Octane are then just kind of walking towards Carbombia City. Did you take a note of what the, uh, I won't say the road sign, the desert sign said on their way to the city? Uh, th this is the one where it's like population 20,000 camels or something, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Population 4,000 people, 10,000 camels. <laughs> yeah. Again, you can see why a member of the cast quit as a result of this episode directly. Like, we're already... How many minutes in are we? Like, about four or five minutes. And we're just already piling up the kind of... The, the, the slurs and prejudices by the by the moment. Yeah, it's... And I should clarify, people. I'm laughing at how absurd this is that this made it into a cartoon. That's more what I'm laughing at than anything else. Yeah. I, I mean, it's sort of... Even for this time, like, because, you know, that's the obvious thing of, like, well, it was a different time and, like, you know, the, the representation of, kind of, Arab nations in particular was atrocious across, mm -hmm. like, 1980s cartoons. Um, but even by those standards, this feels particularly, kind of, cruel and unnecessary in terms of how it does it. I mean, even, you know, again, 80s cartoons full of, kind of, cliched treatment of, of Russia and the USSR as it was. Um, we saw but, it in a know, previous episode. And yeah, again, we saw that. I mean, that that was more just like bad accents as much as anything. But, you know, there was plenty of that as well. But I felt like, you know, as someone who was brought up in that era, like I was very much used to like, it's kind of surprising that a bunch of us that were brought up in the 80s didn't end up being more horrifically racist. Because, you know, you look at like the, the diet of media that we were fed around kind of particular parts of the world. And yeah, like Arab nations particularly were, it, it was a, a shocking kind of treatment. But even by those standards, like, and, and again, I think, you know, uh, Casey Kasim, like talking about this, said like, look, I don't have a problem with you know having these kinds of you know having arab nations and having arab baddies etc etc as long as you're relatively even-handed about it and that you're trying to you know there's a point to it but this episode really stands out even compared to sort of previous you know episodes set in arab countries and you know we've had turkey etc etc where it was pretty questionable but at least it felt like there was an attempt to be like well this is still you know, a, a functional country, um, but this doesn't even go that far. And the, the camel thing is like the tipping point of just like this is, this is literally just you know, kind of your your race racist kind of cliches just being piled up. And it's like Christ on a bike. It's <laughs> Are we really it's, going there. It's ridiculous, quite frankly. It's utterly ridiculous. Random note, Andy. I don't know if you caught this while Trip to Con and Octane were, were walking through the desert to Carbombia City. Did you hear how Trip to Con mentioned he should have stayed longer on Dinobot Island? Yeah. I <laughs> really like that. It was a little Easter egg of, yes, that still exists. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a strange like could could we not have had have an episode set on Dinobot Island again instead? But hey ho, I want to see just Trypticon versus a giant T Rex. <laughs> yeah, I I mean yeah, like that that would feel a bit cruel and unusual for like dinosaurs because I mean Trypticon was like what about a hundred times the size of them. But still, a dinosaur would be up for the fight. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure. 
Octane hopes that with Trypticon to back him up, he can overthrow Galvatron and become leader of the Decepticons. As we were mentioning when talking about Starscream's Ghost Andy, this is the episode now that's establishing, seemingly based on the dialogue, why Octane is not in Galvatron's good books. Indeed. However, Abdul Fakadi, the leader of the Desert Nation, is unhappy with Trypticon's constant consumption of oil. This despite the fact that some of Fakadi's followers say that they've actually done a pretty good job helping to keep fanatics away and keeping the coastline clear of intruders. We then discover, during Fakadi's following monologue, that 1,000 barrels of oil makes one tiny cube of Energon. And Trypticon specifically is drinking 50 Energon cubes an hour. Now, I will say, Andy, as absurd as this is, it was actually nice to get some kind of almost tangible science thrown into this. It's like, how, what does it take to create an Energon cube? It was nice to actually sort of finally get that as a, as an actual bit of science. Yeah, yeah, because I guess we, we've sort of seen it visually, but yeah, you can't really get the numbers from that. And hey, Tripticon, or, or Tripty Babes, as I believe he should now be known, because I, I believe he's called that as some forthcoming point in this episode. Like, you know, he's he's, he's a big fellow, gotta, gotta, needs a lot of energy. At an oil refinery, we see Octane using a machine to convert the oil into Energon, with Tripticon, sorry, which Tripticon, excuse me, is just downing left, right, and center. At first, eating the cubes, then later, just like drinking them like a shot. Take your pick, everyone. <laughs> we also overhear Octane say that Trypticon should be good as new in about six months, which Trypticon isn't happy about, as he was told he'd be promised this would be done in about one more week. At this point, Fakadi rides in on a camel. I wrote this quote verbatim, Andy, because it's still ridiculous how he introduces himself. And I know he did it in one of the very first episodes in season three. And I think I wrote that introduction down. I don't remember exactly what that one was, but I felt the need to write this down. As Supreme Military Commander, King of Kings, and President for Life of the Socialist Democratic Federated Republic of Carbombia, I order you Decepticons out of my country by sunset tomorrow. It's yeah, quite an introduction. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, definitely, really, really leaning into the the, the obvious like Colonel Gaddafi uh, like allegory of this character as well, and it's like, oh, oh, good, we're going there too. Fantastic. He then also adds that he will call the Auto the Autobots and have them executed in the town square. My first thought must be a bloody big town square. <laughs> Octane offers to bring Fakadi gold in exchange for being able to stay, but Fakadi declares that it would take all the gold of the United States of America to allow them to stay. There's a simple answer for how this is then actioned, Andy. We travel to Fort Knox, where Octane, and more specifically Trypticon, steal Fort Knox. Yeah, I mean, for all of the stuff that is like I, I, I dislike about this episode, and for how dumb it is... I, I do like this as just a kind of like jumping straight from problem to like obvious conclusion of just like cool yeah I, we got we got trip to babes we can we can just still Fort Knox and it's like they're not wrong that's not a terrible solution to this problem so sure let's run with this and see where it goes and it goes <laughs> so after having just lifted out you know Fort Knox from from the ground. We then come to find out 
the what is left there is just a crater, which I think was very apt and appropriate. Happy with the fact that they delivered on what they said they would, Vicardi agrees to allow the Decepticons to remain in Carbombia until the next crescent moon. Sure, whatever. And Trypticon is put under a strict ration of 1,000 barrels of oil a day. <laughs> Octane declares that Trypticon will starve. So a new negotiation happens, with a new plan being that Fakadi will get a new palace and he will let the Decepticons stay there and have more oil. To make Fakadi more happy, we see Trypticon literally just rock up in India and steal the Taj Mahal. There's no other way to describe this, people. It is exactly what it says on the tin. While this is happening, the Autobots are now investigating the disappearance of Fort Knox, which, as the TF Wiki puts it, because that's something that directly involves the Autobots. <laughs> Quote-unquote, whoever made off with Fort Knox was like a thief in the night. Now, Andy... I, 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 do, I do love a good title drop in an episode. And Transform <laughs> Transformers very rarely does it. Like, I think this might be... This might even be the first time... It's literally what I wrote down. Like, it is this the, the first, first title time. drop we have had? Because I yeah. don't recall another one. Again, a, a new leader, the times have changed. From this time, it's like, no, I'm going to drop the title in this one. Just, 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 you, just you watch. 2006, just baby! <laughs> yeah, like, there, there were so many other opportunities where, where episodes could have could have had that. I mean, I guess, technically, Kremzeek also, like, title drops. But, yeah, but yeah this was... I, 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 I enjoyed that greatly. I also enjoyed greatly how stupid the Autobots are when they tried to figure out what has happened to Fort Knox. <laughs> So, Grimlock finds an Energon cube, which he says smells different. As Perceptor begins analysing the Energon, Grimlock also smells dinofor- Dinoform? That's not a word. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in. He, he smells dinosaur transform static. There you go. How's that for a phrase? And fears that one of his own Dinobots may have been involved. Perceptor disagrees... Simply, Andy, because they're Autobots. <laughs> but Metroplex decides that they need to interrogate all the Dinobots. Yeah, it's just like all of, all of this is just so incredibly like, hey, I mean, I, I sort of wrote in big, big list of like dinosaur electrons, question mark, <laughs> um, because like what? Um, but just the idea that they would come and see this entire building just like stolen and be like, maybe the Dinobots did it. It's like, because there are no other like, you know, big dinosaur transformers that would potentially have the size and ability to steal an entire building. It's like, come on, guys. Like, I mean, it was not that long ago we had our, like, cup crime procedural where he was, you know, doing some deep, you know, crime-solving, you know, who did the murder. Like, just get cup on this because he's not going to say something dumb like maybe the Dinobots did it. He'll be like... Especially, and again, given the order of things in this episode, it's already been established Trypticon is still alive and kicking. Like, Trypticon didn't die. Had this been the other way around and they hadn't figured out that Trypticon was still alive, I'd kind of give them a bit of a pass of like, well, okay... There's maybe only one logical conclusion based on the information you know. But literally five minutes ago, you were talking about how Trypticon isn't dead. Now you found a missing building and a, a clear evidence that a dinosaur stole it. A dinosaur transformer stole it. It's like, really, you know, you don't need Columbo in on this one. <laughs> this, this, is quite, <laughs> this is quite a straightforward open and shut case. Not for the Autobots, Andy. Not for, the, not Autobots. for the Autobots. <laughs> 
Back at Carbombia, Fakadi is pleased, declaring that with enough monuments, they will soon have a thriving tourist attraction. However, Galvatron is flying nearby, as he has been tracking down Trypticon, then immediately declares Octane a traitor, saying that he stole Trypticon from Dinobot Island. Second reference to Dinobot Island, just saying. It's not just a one-off. Thinking fast, though, Octane claims that he brought Trypticon to Carbombia to help him get better, because they have a more powerful form of Energon. Super Energon, as it's called. And then tosses Galvatron a cube. As Trypticon says nothing to contradict the story, Galvatron takes a swig and finds that it is stronger. Meanwhile, we see the Autobots, according to the TF Wiki, Andy, because I didn't know, named Six Gun and Scamper, both making their debuts based on my count, but there you go. They are interrogating the Dinobots, as well as Skylinks, it should be said as well, under the watchful eye of Metroplex. Skylynx angrily objects to being called a Dinobot and refuses to participate. <laughs> there is, how else do I describe that, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, exa it's exactly that. I mean, it, it did raise the question of, like, it's like, well, yeah, like, I mean, technically, I don't know, his bird mode's kind of a dinosaur. It's like, you know, there is there is a point to be made there. Like, I, I do, I, I do want to have this debate. Like, is Skylynx a dinosaur or not? <laughs> My honestly, one of my first thoughts was, ah, this is how you shoehorn an, an appearance of Skylinks to sell a toy. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, normally they don't even need an excuse to. It's just Skylinks is always cropping up. But uh, but yeah, at least at least they try. They try this time. Perceptor runs in, declaring that the energon that Grimlock found was made via a Decepticon formula. And I like this, Andy. That they've actually now established there are, like, different types of Energon that both the Autobots and Decepticons make. I like that as a random detail. Yeah, just like Energon, Diet Energon, Classic Energon, <laughs> Energon Zero, you know. You're Energon like full, Max. Full, full, yeah, like, full full range, you know. And then, uh, I mean, it's much like the Hydro Super Energon. It's like, well, sure, you have, like, Super Unleaded Petrol, so why wouldn't you have Super Energon? I'm, I, 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 can, I can get behind that. Semi-skimmed Energon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having that knowledge in mind now, Perceptor believes that Trypticon is responsible for the thefts. Broadside takes the aerial bots to investigate and spots two stolen buildings. However, as they're cruising across the ocean, near the coast of Carbombia, Trypticon just surfaces like Godzilla in a wonderful moment, just carrying the Eiffel Tower nonchalantly. Yeah, that that was that. I think that was my favourite of all of these. Is just like just bring the Eiffel Tower, which I, I mean, you know, Eiffel Tower gets a pretty rough time in in media. Like it's forever getting smashed up and stolen in in films and TV. Um, but there's something always enjoyable uh, about uh, about it. Just kind of yeah, just just get getting pinched on on this occasion. Or maybe maybe Trypticon messed up and it was actually just Blackpool Tower. I mean, that would you know that that's maybe like the deep lore that we don't get that actually you know he just went a little too far and ended up in Blackpool. Galvatron and Octane are explaining to Fakadi that the Decepticons will supply Carbombia with more buildings such as the Kremlin <laughs> while they take over all the oil fields. However, Trypticon then spots the aerial bots and converts into battle mode, forcing the aerial bots to retreat. There was a wonderful line from Galvatron here when he realised that there was a battle coming, Andy. I believe it was, quote-unquote, Autobots, 
Wonderful! Decepticons! Commence hunting season! <laughs> Love that line. Also, I didn't mention it a second ago. I think there's a big continuity flaw in this episode when it comes to Trypticon. I'll see if you could figure it out in a few minutes, but I'm going to mention it in a minute either way. Having learned that Trypticon intends to... <laughs> saying this line out loud. Having learned that Trypticon intends to take the Kremlin, <laughs> we now travel to Russia, where we see the Autobots head to Moscow and are being greeted by Cossack dancing, which Grimlock in particular is loving, and even participates himself. However, Metroplex is running late, much to the concern of Rodimus, but Perceptor explains, don't worry, he just got caught in a blizzard in Siberia. Yeah, uh, a, a lot going on here, and I guess I guess given that they'd run out of, of kind of cliched, uh, slightly offensive things to do, to say about Arab nations, it, onwards to Russia now. Now it should be noted that in this scene, it's, it's like a very dark, foggy night, and the way that Trypticon actually arrives and steals the Kremlin. It's just for Trypticon's arms just to appear from the fog, pick up the Kremlin, and pull it away. It was a wonderful visual. I really, really liked it. However, Trypticon is then interrupted by Metroplex as he's trying to get away. So, what do you do, Andy, if you're, if you're a giant Transformer and you're holding the Kremlin in your hands and you need to think of a way to get away quickly... Why you throw the Kremlin towards your enemy? <laughs> what was going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and again, this given everything about this episode, this feels like it was probably a like you know, hey, let's just mess with the Kremlin a bit because why not? We're we're going for it this this episode. And it's like okay, cool. I guess here here we are. Now, it should be said, Metroplex catches the Kremlin, but at that exact moment, the Soviet government, yes, everyone, the Soviet government, that is, like, that is actually name-checked that way, they, their forces arrive, and this leads to them accusing the Autobots of theft, as does the country of India for sealing the Taj Mahal, because they said, well, the Autobots were caught with the Kremlin in Russia, and they clearly stole the Taj Mahal. It's like... Come on, people! Yeah, yeah like, but, but people's investigative abilities really not at their peak in this episode as a whole, it should be said. We then get one of Grimlock's best lines in the show ever, because the Autobots are lamenting their sad fate, and Grimlock just says, Me Grimlock say this grim. <laughs> Top-notch stuff from Grimlock there. And back at Carbombia, Fakadi is recording a message to send to the Autobots authorizing them to invade Carbombia and attack the Decepticons. As he is wrapping up his recording, if you will, the camera is destroyed by Galvatron, who then locks up the Dictator. Rodimus, the Dinobots, the Aerialbots, Metroplex, and Broadside arrive to fight off the Decepticons. We then get another battle between Metroplex and Trypticon, Metroplex at this point basically uses a pylon that he just pulls out of the ground and just uses it like a javelin straight into the chest of Trypticon. Which is a good idea potentially in principle, Andy, but not when it suddenly looks like Trypticon is going to then fall on top of the Taj Mahal because he's just been speared in the chest. 
Yeah, but it is a very cool moment. Like, I, I it get one of my favorite kind of giant robot things in general is like when somebody just like grabs some you know extraneous object and uses it as like a javelin or something like that. There's something incredibly cool about that. So like, and you know the the Taj, they can build another Taj Mahal. You can only like use a pylon as a javelin so many times. So <laughs> it was worth it, I would say. Metroplex ends up throwing Triptychon into the ocean again. And now without Triptychon to even the odds, Galvatron orders the Decepticons to retreat. Metroplex then returns the monument, clearing the Autobots' name, and Rodimus asks Fakadi to never ally with the Decepticons again. Fakadi, in response, promises the Autobot leader that he will not, and I'm not going to quote it verbatim, Andy, but he basically swears by the livestock of many family members. Which is quite a moment. Yeah, I mean, why not end the episode as, as you have been going throughout, I suppose. Yeah, so, have you figured out the continuity flaw when it comes to what I was mentioning a minute ago? Um, I'm not sure of the specific one. I mean, the, the thing that confuses me about Triptychon is they're sort of... One minute they're like, ah, you know, he, he's just going to kind of like explode un underwater because he you know he can't get wet and then the next minute he's just like coming out of the ocean and it's like yep. well which one is it <laughs> yep literally that was my note because uh, when my original note when i saw him appear with the eiffel tower was wait a minute didn't he you know what i'm not gonna worry <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's maybe, literally maybe, what i wrote down maybe there's a, a specific type of water or a specific temperature that he's like you know he's he's susceptible to and maybe maybe the water there was fine but yeah it was very strange i mean it's just strange in general like cuz it feels like it's been pretty well kind of documented that the transformers are waterproof at this point <laughs> and like of 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 all the of all the decepticons not to waterproof properly like the big one that's going to end up in the sea a lot is probably not the one that you would just be like ah no it's fine you know, the one the one that's the size of a city yeah, like, he's not going to get wet. What what could possibly go wrong? So, from there, we move on to some continuity notes and trivia notes, courtesy of the TF Wiki. The battle shown at the beginning of the episode ostensibly happened in Five Faces of Darkness Part 5. However, there are continuity errors. <laughs> Triptychon had been taken to Dinobot Island in an attempt to help him recover... When the Decepticons last visited the island, they had been attacked by the natives. A fair point. As related to Abdul Fakadi, one bar 1,000 barrels excuse me, of oil is required to make one Energon cube, and Triptychon consumes 50 cubes in an hour. This, of course, is vastly out of line with what we saw in previous seasons of the show. Oh, okay, I clearly forgot this. But in more, apparently, Andy, in More Than Meets the Eye Episode 2, for example, just a few barrels of oil seem to be enough to make an Energon Cube. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe the, the super oil that makes the super Energon works differently, I guess. that that, that if, if I was the writer, that would be my excuse. Like, ah, but this is super Energon. So, you know, it's a different formula. This, this, is, this is like, you know, Energon Max. So, you know, completely different. <laughs> So, following up on this exact point from the TF Wiki, this totals up to 1.2 million barrels a day to keep Triptychon running. For comparison, the daily crude output of Libya in 1990 was 1 1.4 million barrels a day. 
Yeah, and, and above all that, just Trypticon, just really not very environmentally friendly. Like you know, it's 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 all it's all good and well telling people to leave their cars at home, but when Trypticon's roaming around, what's even the point? Because he's just using all the oil. Also, I mentioned earlier in the episode that we saw him firing rockets and missiles at a cruise liner. And it should be noted as well, that's when we first hear Octane go, hey, don't use up all your energy on, buddy. And the TF Wiki quite rightly says, if he uses up a lot of energy on just by firing missiles at ships, how much energy does he burn when he flies to another planet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when it comes to the dinosaur transfer, trans, transform static, which I still can't say, the TF's Wiki, TF Wiki's note on this is simply, we didn't make it up, we're just documenting. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. This is the only appearance of Six Gun in the show, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I, I was struggling to remember who that is, but it's basically like Metroplex's kind of version of Roller, almost, where hmm. he's like he he's like the 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 little robot dude that kind of just hangs out with Metroplex. Um, and yeah, I I I'd, I'd forgotten what he was called, but yeah, apparently he's Six Gun, and yeah, nobody really cares <laughs> i just like oh yeah i remember that that guy from from the toy here's a note for you if we want to trust the animation the shot of metroplex setting down the eiffel tower pegs his height at around 1100 feet give or take he's only a fraction of that when holding the much shorter saint basil's yep yeah, I mean, I mean, like size continuity has never really been a thing for this cartoon. So yeah, the, unfortunately, once you start using well-known landmarks, it just becomes all the more obvious. Okay, so real-world references. While the title is a rather literal description of Trypticon's activities, the phrase comes from the Bible regarding the second coming of Jesus. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Right, so here we go, Andy. I think this is what we've been building to, as it were, for this. So, the nation of Carbombia and its mercurial military ruler is a thin pastiche of the North American, sorry, North African nation, excuse me, of Libya, whose ruler Gaddafi was supporting any number of terrorist activities around the world at the time, hence the Carbomb pun. The US bombed Libya in early 1986, bringing the country and its military dictator to popular attention right around the time frame when this episode was likely being written. Said pastiche drove Casey Kasim to leave the show as he declined to work on, on an episode that contained what he felt were offensive stereotypes of Arabs without any good Arabs to balance them out, as you mentioned earlier, Andy. As a result, despite Kasim having already been cast as Teletran 2, the computer had all its lines redubbed by Frank Welker, who continued to voice it in later appearances. Yeah. Fair play to Casey Kasim for standing up and actually taking a stand on that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's particularly interesting because, like, as we mentioned, we, we've seen, you know, those kind of stereotypes throughout this show in places, but. The, the general point is right that there's usually something you know however small to at least counterbalance it somewhat and you'd have some good guys some good characters and yeah this was very much a sort of you know uh, an attack on the character if you like of arab nations as a whole and you can understand why this was the tipping point of just like no this kind of sucks i don't want anything to do with this um or you know and uh oh, 
obviously you know we we were we, we were already beyond the the era of of cliff jumper so it, it actually had less of a material impact on the show at this point i guess but uh, yeah it means uh, it means a completely all new teletran 2 as a result and that concludes that particular episode everybody which means andy we have one more episode to discuss today this being season 3 episode 11 forever is a long time coming. We begin with Perceptor, Rekgar, Blur, and Blaster investigating chronal pulses, as it's described by Perceptor, that being the force of time itself, coming from an asteroid belt near Cybertron. They are then promptly fired upon by Sharktacons, which launch from an, an installation on like a bowl-shaped asteroid, is probably the best way to describe it, which is the source of the pulses. Quote-unquote from Blaster, Ramhorn, ram the ram-along ding-ding out of these suckers. I think I said that right. If I didn't, I make no apologies because it's Blaster and it's great. Also, Andy, even Rewind gets some action in this episode. Yeah, yeah, about 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 time these, these guys get a bit of, bit of play. The Autobots make quick work of the Sharktacons as Perceptor tells Blaster to radio for Rodimus Prime for reinforcements. We see the Autobots land on the asteroid just in time to see a Quintesson scientist open up a time portal to 11 million years ago to retrieve a target subject, much to Perceptor's horror. The portal itself is a giant triangle-like structure and not anything that I think we've seen before, Andy. I couldn't place anything exactly like this unless you count that random robot that... Uh, that that computer screen that was in one episode that Optimus Prime defeated in season two, which yeah. I completely forget. Yeah, oh god, yeah, it was it was quite a good name as well. I'm I'm annoyed that I've forgotten it, but uh, yeah, this is this is not really something we've we've seen before. Also, just a very casual, just like hey, time travel, I'm like cool, all right, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're doing we're doing some more time travel, cool, okay. Yeah, it is amusing how they just drop that in at the beginning. It's like ah, oh, you know, you know, time travel energy, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if the Quintessons can, like, travel back in time, surely they could have just gone back to, like, when everything went south for them and just fix it. Like, I realise time travel, you know, in fiction is rarely that simple, because butterfly effect, etc, etc. But it feels like they, they, they should maybe have, like, explored this option sooner <laughs> than with all the other stuff that's gone on. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Well, now, now that they've been discovered by the Autobots, you know, <laughs> they've got to make it hard somehow. Okay, so what happens next is very fast, frenetic, and from my point of view, Andy, and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, was actually pretty difficult to keep track of in such a short space of time that it occurred in. So let's see if I can put this out properly. The Autobots are fired on by Quintesson ships, which then a separate blast kind of separates Perceptor from the pack of the Autobots. The other Autobots are pushed towards the time portal, much to the chagrin of the scientist who is forcibly removed from the area by the Alicons. Sans Perceptor, the group of Autobots head through the portal as all of this is happening. At this point in time, Perceptor is just like downed quite a bit. Rodimus and the aerial bots randomly rock up and arrive and effectively go, what's going on here? I've tried to write that down in a succinct a way as I can. It was really difficult to figure all that out, though. <laughs> yeah, I... 
Weirdly, it sort of it does it in a way that I sort of appreciated, and just be for its kind of chaotic nature. Like there are times when this show is difficult to figure out what's going on because it's kind of messily written. This felt like it was sort of deliberately trying to be a little bit chaotic, and it's like okay, well I can I can kind of get behind that. Also, you know, a bit of a sucker for a bit of time travel, so I'm like, oh okay, well let's let's see where they've gone to, let's see what's going on here. The time window fades out as the Autobots, Sam's Perceptor, end up 11 million years in the past. Does this, does this sound familiar, everybody? Does it? Just saying. The Quintesson ships continue firing, striking the time portal before being ambushed by Superion, the combined form of the Aerobots, and Rodimus Prime. The Quintessons escape as the damaged Perceptor tells Rodimus Prime to find the Autobots, and Silverbolt instructs the other Aerobots not to follow as a mysterious figure suddenly materialises. Rodimus is caught off guard and literally says, quote-unquote, what in the name of Alpha Trion? <laughs> of course, the individual, minor spoiler, is freaking Alpha Trion, everybody. But, yeah, like but it's I, not name-checked, and no one knows who it flipping is. Yeah, like I, I don't know if this is like the greatest thing that this episode does, or just like the dumbest thing. But <laughs> I kind of, I kind of like it when he he delivers that line, and then you're just like, wait, that is actually Alpha Trion. <laughs> it's like you know, it's it's just like it's basically the Transformers equivalent of somebody going like Jesus Christ when like Jesus Christ comes through a time portal. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I kind of love it. We now cut to 11 million years ago. The Autobots are confused about where the heck they are, yet it feels familiar at the same time. Automatic defences then begin firing upon the Autobots, who quickly retreat. Except Ramhorn, who charges right into the action, and, more to the point, right into, quote-unquote, a Guardian from the earliest days of Cybertron, even before the Great War against the Decepticons, says Rewind. The Dark Guardian, as the TF Wiki refers to it, is in hot pursuit and attempts to, to step on the Autobots, but is stopped by a shot from an unknown female Transformer with a crossbow that has explosive arrows. The female Transformer we come to find out is named Beta, who tells the others to follow her to the Warrens before the Quintessons, or the Quints, as they keep referring to them, send more enemies. She states that even though she is taking a big risk by bringing in Blaster and his compatriots, they need all the help they can get for the final assault, quote-unquote, on Hive City. Beta is disgusted by the mark of shame on the Autobot's chest. In an interesting sort of plot development history element as well, law building if you will, she explains that the Autobot symbol has been a symbol of slavery for over a million years, but that a3 says it must become a symbol of freedom. She says that A3 has a Coda remote device designed to freeze the Dark Guardians, allowing the slaves to rise up against the Quintessons. But their forces are just not strong enough. They're just the likes of scientists and technicians who all just simply want the same thing but don't have the power to do it. Rewind then finally realises they're in Cybertron's past! <laughs> <laughs> so finally caught, caught up with the rest of us. <laughs> now, at this point in time, we, the viewer, have learned about a lot of this during the Five Faces of Darkness and the fact that the Transformers were still slaves for the Quintessons a very long time ago. And 
this is when you sort of realise as the viewer, oh, so if we're at the point where the uprising is about to happen, the Quintesson's plan is to stop the uprising from ever happening. A fair idea. But as you say, Andy, why not just go back even earlier than that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or why not do that, like, during the events of Five Faces of Darkness and not try their other convoluted processes to stop all the Transformers? But, uh, you know, hey, I guess... You know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe they were low on Energon or they hadn't finished building their time window or, or whatever. But uh, I, did, I do like, mostly because it took me the entire episode and them pointing it out clearly to figure it out, the whole A3 Alpha Try-On. Right, thing. I know. Like, I was sat there, I was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's like, at the end, it's like, oh, I get it. And I felt like a... I, I, I felt like, you know, what one of these guys would be like, oh, this is the past, <laughs> this is Cybertron's past. It's like, yeah, that one completely passed me by for far too long. <laughs> I, I don't know why there was a part, of, I think they outright at one point later in the episode just go, A3, Alpha Trion! <laughs> yeah, they literally, they do that right at near the end of the episode. And then I was like, oh yeah. As if like, it's clearly like I, I was supposed to not be the idiot that like, comes to that conclusion right at the end. But I was exactly that idiot as well of like, oh, I see what they did. Beta also notes that A3 is currently missing, but they must attack at dawn with or without him. The Autobots, the 2006 Autobots as I refer to them at this point, agree to help the slaves in their attack. Back in 2006, the time window hasn't closed, but is now leaking energy into space. There are ripples in the time stream. Rodimus refuses to shut the window down while five of his fellow Autobots are stuck in the past. And quite frankly as well, because Perceptor is being fixed up and no one knows what the heck to do. Let's call it like it is. But also, Andy, being fixed up by pipes. Yes, yeah, I wrote again, all, all caps, pipes again. <laughs> so I was quite excited to see that he's got two episodes to his name now. The Quintessons fear that if the window isn't closed within the next hour... The ripples will travel through the universe, jeopardizing reality itself. And apparently, some vent, some events, some events, excuse me, will repeat in an endless loop. And the thing that they show to demonstrate this, Andy, things happening in an endless loop, is Wheelie Rip winning a car race over and over. I mean, the the true the true nightmare, really. <laughs> you know, just nothing but wheelie forever. It's like, well, okay, yeah, I get the point. Maybe this is bad. And then we get some events reversing as well, like water sort of running towards a dam, now running backwards, the opposite way, if you will. And there's even other things that can happen, like the past and the future colliding, which is evident, which is, sorry, this is evidenced by Marissa Fairborn doing target practice and suddenly being a baby. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was particularly funny. I mean, I'm, I'm again, a sucker for time travel stuff, a sucker for like time just like smashing together and all going horribly wrong as well so i was kind of i was kind of into all this but uh but yeah the marissa fairborn is suddenly a baby thing was was both hilarious and just like okay i get it already i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page we can move on now i'm not that dumb am i yeah I get, well i mean i couldn't figure out the a3 thing so i can get their concern but <laughs> So the only solution to stop the universe from ceasing to exist, according to the Quintessons, is to destroy the time window. The scientist orders a full-scale assault on the asteroid where it was located. 
Now, A3, finally revived, refuses to give information to Quintesson's slaves, like the Autobots. A3 and Rodimus then take cover from Quintesson's star bombs, as they're called, and an incoming Sharktacon offensive as the other Autobots begin defending the Time Portal. Rodimus takes a shot to the chest, quite literally, in the process, while trying to give a rallying speech, because that's how good of a leader you are, Rodimus. <laughs> it never happened with Optimus. During all of this, A3, somehow, Andy, is blasted away from the asteroid and is just hurtling through space, just basically going, ah! <laughs> Very, very amusing. He's just tumbling through space, as it were, and ends up being saved by Superion, who is cornered by Quintus on ships. In a really cool moment that harkens back to the key to Vector Sigma, and quite rightly again, Andy, not only reminds you, oh yeah, the aerial bots had a, a thing happen in the past, didn't they? Remember that episode? It also reminds you just literally of the key to Vector Sigma episode story. Another great callback. Because we suddenly see A3 turning into his future self, Alpha Trion, and then Trion literally saying, You must live, that I may be born. <laughs> Which I thought, mate, come on, you know, say it a little bit better than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, you, you, you got to work with what you got, I guess. It's, you know, that, that's the best you can do with that line. But I did like that callback to Key to Vector Sigma, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a really nice kind of you know smart little again use of that continuity, um, and and yeah, like it's uh, it's it's good good stuff. I was, I was hoping we might just see like Alpha try and just turn into a baby as well, but but no, no, we, we went the opposite way with with A three. Suddenly, the ripples in time cause Superion to briefly warp into two places at once as space and time. Are just like mutilating itself effectively from the chronal energy is probably one way to put it and are being released into this 2006 timeline the quintessons end up retreating fearing the results of everything that is about to happen quote unquote i told you this would happen time and space in collision the very fabric of existence is unraveling like a substandard cloth says one quintesson <laughs> The phrase "substandard cloth" had me in hysterics. Yeah, is 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 a. I mean, I I do like the, the Quintessons. Occasionally, get some really good bits of of dialogue. It's just like they're, they're, they're like, shall we chuckle heartily and stuff like that. It's like <laughs> it feels they're kind of they're kind of boring a lot of the time, but sometimes they get to be boring in really funny ways. And I do I do enjoy it when they're, when they're, they get those lines. Rodimus orders Pipes to repair Perceptor, as he's the only one that can figure out what is actually going on. Silverbolt attempts to talk to A3, who isn't even sure who he is anymore. <laughs> I mean, you can't really blame him at this point in the episode. It's like, yeah, yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> Back in the past, the 2006 Autobots are taking part in the raid on Hive City and are finding themselves and the slaves against several of the Dark Guardians. The idea being that Blaster and Co. will lure away the Guardians from the entrance to allow the Rebels to get inside. That said, Ramhorn literally just runs into fight. Ramhorn is awesome, Andy. Ramhorn can stay. 
I mean, yeah, he he's basically replaced Cliff Jumper at this point. I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, just just you know, I mean, it's right there in his name. You know, he's he's gonna he's gonna try and ram things. It's what he does. Back in 2006, or the present day, however you want to phrase it, the Quintesson scientist suddenly appears in the sky as a projection, sort of aimed towards the Autobots, and says that they must put aside their differences and proposes an al- sorry, an alliance, excuse me, for the time window to be closed. In quite a strange circumstance, the Autobots don't believe him, and so the Quintesson just starts begging for him to be believed. Which is just this weird, alright, sure. <laughs> if a Quintesson's really that worried about it, it must be serious. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can understand their reticence to, to, to believe these guys. But, you know, g- given all of the circumstances at hand, it seems like this is probably a time where you just buy into whatever they're, they're putting down and not question it too much. Back in the past, we see the battle heating up and more Dark Guardians appearing, but ultimately they are able to blast through the entrance. Then, a five-faced Quintesson appears in the sky, saying that they have observed the the slaves' futile efforts and demand surrender as Dark Guardians start surrounding the rebellion. Back in 2006, Rodimus is finally convinced by the Quintesson to close the time window, But A3 volunteers to go through the time portal to retrieve the time-displaced Autobots, much to the Quintesson scientist's chagrin. As A3 lands back in the past, Beta, you know, the female Transformer we saw earlier, everybody, the really cool one, once again, that's a thing that's established in Transformers at this point, the female Transformers are really cool and really good badasses, she is delighted to see A3. And then the Quintesson orders the Guardians to attack. But then A3 removes the, the Autobot symbol from his chest. Which it turns out is the Coda remote that was referenced earlier in the episode in disguise. A3 triggers the remote, which is like a giant beam of light effectively. It disables the Dark Guardians and then orders the 2006 Autobots to return to the present thanking them for their help in the process. The Autobots return to 2006 just in time for for Rodimus to close the time window, which then self-destructs, never to return to the past again, Andy. As the day is saved, the Autobots finally realise that A3 was Alpha Trion. And just to reinforce it even more, there's a little constellation in the sky of stars with his quote-unquote likeness. Yeah, can't believe it took him so long. Like, I figured it out straight away. That's why it <laughs> didn't take me that long in the episode as well. You know what, Andy? The, the time travel stuff is... It, it, it is fun. Like, even when the aerial bots had their thing in the past, which I still think was a far, a far better episode than this. Mm, yeah. This is still good fun. And there is a fun sort of almost plot device now to where... Future Autobots are really playing a, a hand in keeping past Autobots from actually happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, this episode is kind of messy and disjointed, but I still like the general gist of what it's trying to do. And I, you know, it maybe doesn't succeed in all of it, but yeah, as mentioned, sucker for time travel stuff, sucker for like old 
time thing is just breaking the universe. Um, like, ironically, I, I, I can't talk about it because it's a spoiler because it's a series that literally just came out a few days ago, but I've just been watching another series that does exactly the same thing. With almost <laughs> some of the exactly same, exact same effects as this episode of Transformers. <laughs> so again, Transformers did it first, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, like I sort of, I like... I like the deep continuity of it. I like the fact we've had a few kind of little time travel adventures now, which again, it's it's a thing that becomes... I mean, the, the, the Transformers comics do a heck of a lot of time travel uh, in the end between, again, sort of between like 86 and 2006, uh, which is sort of the fun thing that builds up around this series because the movie has that time skip. Suddenly you've got these two these two like times and even you know the cartoon that the comic rather makes realizes very quickly like we want to use both sets of characters and we've got these two time zones effectively so we need ways for people to jump between them to mess with things um, and of course that lets you have a lot of fun times like Galvatron versus Megatron um, and you know Optimus Prime and Rodimus Prime kind of you know gang up and get together all that kind of stuff um, and yeah like it's fun when the cartoon kind of gets to play with some time travel stuff but it just goes you know way deeper um, which yeah is, is interesting you know ha having built up that lore I like that it doesn't just become a throwaway thing and it's become like a pivotal part of the series now between like the Quintessons, like, you know, Alpha Trion is, you know, a, a recurring sort of character, all of that stuff. It's cool that it keeps going back to it and doesn't just say, yeah, you got your backstory episode, now we'll just focus on the present stuff. So yeah, like this is not a great episode, but it's kind of cool with some of the stuff it does. We now go to the TF Wiki for some trivia notes about this episode before we begin to wrap things up proper. The Dark Guardians are introduced here, and obviously our predecessors of the Guardian Robots introduced in the War Dawn episode in Season 2. The Guardian Robots were protectors of the general populace. In this earlier era, as showcased in the episode, the Dark Guardians are the oppressive servants of the Quintessons. Another fun note here, which, uh, now that it's mentioned it here, Andy, I have just realised this is actually a little bit freaky. Blaster's tapes are awake and active when riding around in his chest. Yeah, I mean, this, this is this this is on the same level as the Transformers go to the toilet, I feel like, in, but slightly more existential of just like, yeah, like, what's the deal with, I mean, like, yeah, like, why Sandwave? What's the deal with his tapes when they're all in his chest? Are they all just, like, there, awake and just trapped like what's what's going on <laughs> fun note here so the aerial bots save a three to whom they would eventually bring orion pax causing him to be rebuilt in war dawn into optimus prime who would eventually call the area bots to be built prompting alpha trion to sacrifice his life to give life to the aerial bots in the key to vector sigma part two who had his life's who had his life 11 million years earlier saved or 20 years later circle of life man yeah yeah i mean it's kind of like of, of, of all the complexities in this cartoon version of transformers like that's that is kind of the most bonkers kind of thing and it makes sense in its own kind of continuity it's like you've somehow managed to pull that off i'm not even sure if you did it deliberately or by accident but this that's pretty cool a few other trivia notes on this one the quintesson scientist is named inquirata in the script but is unnamed in the episode proper 
There you go. This is the second episode in this season so far to have featured a star constellation with, with an apparent image of an Autobot, the other one being Optimus Prime in Dark Awakening. This is one of the few episodes not to feature any Decepticons. Yeah, no, that is that is true. I mean, maybe Starscream's ghost was there just floating around. Who can say? Like, maybe <laughs> Starscream is in all those episodes now. And they also just add here, what is it with aerial bots and time travel? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like it's their jam. So you know. <laughs> so jumping back for a second, Andy, back to the Starscream's ghost episode. I did mention earlier there was one other trivia note I was going to read after Thief and Night, which I actually didn't. So I'm going to quickly double back to that. The events of Thief in the Night are used to provide reason for Octane's banishment, but that episode was produced and aired after this episode, suggesting that the episode was rewritten during production, taking inspiration from the later episode, uh, Bo Weaver's delivery of Octane's lines as he recounts the events of Thief, sound notably rushed, as if being squeezed into a space in, in the audio where they did not originally exist. <laughs> This fit is this fit is notably not a perfect one. Thief did not end with Octane on bad terms with Galvatron, and neither episodes offer any explanation as to why Octane is on friendly terms with the Autobots, whereas Blitzwing going to them for protection would have been following up on Rodimus's offer in Five Faces of Darkness. Yeah, big big old mess, but there you go. So there we go, Andy. That is these three episodes wrapped up. In terms of a three-episode chunk that we have actually highlighted, Starscream's Ghost was weird. Not perfect, but really good fun to see Starscream again from my perspective. Thief in the Night has got problems. It really has. But there are, again, some interesting and fun themes that they play with within that, in terms of the Transformers specifically, I'm going to say there, just to really be careful how I phrase that. And Forever is a Long Time Coming. It's another time travel episode. We get some cool backstory lore again, which I enjoyed. But just, you know, it's there. It's not essential. But overall, three episodes. I don't have issues with them. But if I had to pick one, it would be Starscream's Ghost. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like for me, the jury is out for Starscream's Ghost because I want to see Ghost in the Machine now and see, like, where it goes with it. Because it, it, it is so rushed, like, the final kind of act of that episode that... Like until it drops that hey, there's more to come. I was kind of pretty bummed out about it because it felt really half baked. But actually, we've only had half of the half baked pizza to make a strained analogy. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm looking forward to the other half of the pizza to see what toppings it has and whether it kind of saves the fact that somebody sprinkled anchovies all over the first half and annoyed me. Um, so yeah, like I'm, 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 the jury's out on that. I'm, I'm interested to revisit that once we've seen Ghost in... I keep wanting to call it Ghost in the Shell. That's a different <laughs> animated project. I mean, that's what um, we would do, Andy's anime fans, isn't it? Just by default. Yeah, it, exactly um but yeah i'm interested to see ghost of the machine yeah thief in the night like that is definitely one of those like i like the dumb goofy id you've got going here but man is everything around it a, a mess um like I, I would have liked to have seen that in sort of better circumstances um and i, I quite like forever is a long time coming like that that was 
you know, again, a messy episode, but you know, it has it has some good ideas. And as mentioned, I, I do enjoy the fact it keeps revisiting that deep lore um, and kind of building extra bits out onto it. And yeah, now we have the crazy like area bot sort of like time loop that is just like absolutely bonkers, which I'm I'm here for. Um, I also enjoyed these episodes because we're starting to get those really kind of cool like informational bumpers at the end of episodes like, yeah we haven't talked about these have we so yeah like there's one I'll, I'll, I forget, I'll, 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 I'll let you take the lead on these yeah i i forget what the one was it at the end of star screams ghost or thief in the night there was one but then there was like a predacon one at the end of forever is a long time coming and i don't know i just i remember as a kid like really enjoying those kind of like especially if it's like characters or, or like events that you liked where they do a deep dive and you get a narrator guy doing his important narrator guy voice. Um, and, you know, you, it's just a bunch of compiled footage with narrator guy talking over it, but you'd get to see a bunch of cool moments and bits of footage and you'd be like, oh, that was quite cool. And then it's just like, it's just there. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like clearly, clearly we reached the point in the series where the episode scripts weren't running long enough <laughs> to, to fill an entire episode. And so they were, pulling these kind of compilations together to fill out the, the runtime. But I, I'm, I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool. It actually never occurred to me that would be the reason to add them. Because I, I want to say the ones we got were one focused on the Autobots, then just the Decepticons kind of inferring Megatron was a thing, not anymore. And then, we, like you say, we get the Predacons specific one, which, I've got to say, made the Predacons look far more like a million bucks compared to how they actually are in the episode so far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, that that is kind of like, I think that the, the second, well, it probably is actually the primary value of these things. I suspect it's kind of more of that even than time-saving is like a... If you're a kid that somehow stumbled upon Transformers like in season three and you're like, what the heck is going on? Because that would be a fair question for a lot of these episodes at this point. Like they're quite good sort of like, you know, setting the groundwork of, of you know, who are the Autobots, who are the Decepticons. But then you have the more almost sales pitch of like, this is kids, this is why you should buy the Predacon toys, because uh, this is what they do, and this is why they're awesome. And I suspect that is kind of, you know, the the general gist of, of, of that is, yeah, like, hey, uh, let's get newcomers on board with giving them some, like, cliff notes of, like, hey, here's, here's, here's the deal with the Transformers, um, but then also having some of those basically focus on sell this toy to people um and use whatever good footage that you can because yeah we kind of made the Predacons look like they suck in this season so far so maybe if we compile a bunch of footage it'll work better there is also part of me that thinks if these are like obviously part advert part explanation why put them at the end well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it, it, it's the, 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 tip, the tricky thing. If you put it at the start, somebody's going to be like, oh, kids are going to be like, oh, this is just like a clip show. I've seen all this stuff and then turn it mm. off. So I guess they probably dump it in. And it, it probably comes like, in terms of like US broadcast, it probably comes like after the final commercial break as well. So right, yeah. Probably potentially catching people who have tuned in to watch the next cartoon, like, I don't know, Visionaries or something. Mm. Um, I don't know why I pulled Visionaries out. But, <laughs> I mean, there you go. fair choice in fairness. <laughs> a, a, deep, a deep cut. Um, I think there was like a Visionaries cross Transformers comic, actually. Um, I but think yeah, I got you, that for you as a present, didn't I? 
Uh, oh yeah, but I, I think even like back in the day, back in the eighties, I think they did like oh proper old school one. Yeah, I mm. think I think they maybe did that before. They certainly advertised the heck out of the things in the um in the comics at the time. You know, visionaries were thinking because holograms was holograms were cool in the mid eighties. <laughs> uh, everybody wanted a hologram. Something. Look at Gem and the holograms. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like all, all of that stuff, um, and that that was visionaries gimmick. Anyway, nothing. <laughs> let's, uh, tune in for our visionaries podcast coming soon. <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, like I suspect there was also a plan of like, well, look, this is probably going to be part of a cartoon block. So some of these kids are going to tune in early for whatever it is. And then if we can drop them with like a minute of cool Transformers stuff and they'll be like, oh, I should watch this cartoon as well. Then I guess there's a purpose to that as well. Yeah, it's a fair point. I hadn't considered it like that. And l- like I say, it makes the Predacons look amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's the that is a really good like little compilation kind of video that they put together. A really good like highlight reel of of Predacons being cool, and also like I feel like those bumpers they 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 use some some good music as well, and it's like yeah they they use some good bits of the soundtrack, and it all kind of works. And again, narrator guy like well worth his every penny because he he delivers whenever he has to say anything about the Transformers, um, and it's it's all it's all good. It's all good stuff what's also actually quite just anecdotally interesting about those is the fact that they those little clip bits are not remastered so it's kind of almost fun just to go from like the 1080p source we're watching suddenly to clearly watching a broadcast clip and it really makes you appreciate the remaster job that they've done yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's not surprising that they didn't bother to kind of like recompile those from the footage of the remastered version. But uh, yeah, it's clearly these were clearly bolted onto the back of the broadcast tapes and aren't part of the original masters. Which I guess is why you know we've seen it with some of the re- the recap bits of Five Faces of Darkness. Likewise, you know that was clearly like recorded from a vhs or something um in comparison to the actual episode but yeah it definitely makes you appreciate the 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 work that they've done on like the the hd versions that we get um you know continuity and animation errors and all so from there next time on the podcast everybody we will be talking about episodes 12 through 14 which on hasbro pulse andy have the following episode titles Surprise Party. (laughs) Madman's Paradise. And Carnage in C Minor. Yeah. Okay, a a trio of of episodes I've definitely not seen. Like, I think Carnage in C Minor was on some VHS tapes, but not any that I ever had or watched. But, man, I... (laughs) I just want Surprise Party to be the sequel to The Girl He Loved Power Glide now. I'm sure it won't be that, but that's all I want. That's all I want from this life. Or can it be like the Sea Spray follow-up? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it will be a surprise for us. So. I mean, hey, you know. they could have called Surprise Party the, the title for Dark Awakening, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they really, yeah, they, they really, they really could. Uh, well, folks, thank you very much for listening and or watching. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you do, why not make sure you tell a friend to check us out? Once again, if you have found us on the likes of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, make sure you tell someone if you want to leave a review or a rating of some kind, we would really appreciate that. If you've listened to the audio version and you actually want to check out our, like actually us reacting to all of this and whatnot, you could find the full YouTube video version of this podcast 
by searching for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find our channel and the videos just fine. Also, if you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, we are on both platforms as well. Search for the name at Starscream's Pod, and you will be able to find our account accordingly. And if you want to give us a follow, we'd really appreciate it. Andy, before we depart today, any additional thoughts and or wisdom you would like to impart upon our wonderful audience? Um, th- th- there is one last thing that I realised we forgot to mention. Um, in the Starscream's Ghost episode, where, um, like, it's mentioned, you know, Starscream lets slip his actual voice, and they say, like, she sounds like Starscream. The follow-up from, I think, one of the sweeps is like, there's no need to be insulting. <laughs> <laughs> Which I totally forgot really, that. Yeah, which is a really great follow-up. And then I think I think you kind of get a sort of slightly disgruntled like Starscream face from like Cyclonus of just like, I can't say anything, but damn you, <laughs> damn you guys. But it's like no, no need to be insulting was a really good uh, really good follow-up to that. Uh, I will say anecdotally for you, Andy, it looks like based on the episode ordering we've got, obviously not the next three episodes, but it looks like the the next podcast we record after that will have Ghost in the Machine. Fantastic. So it's not too long before we get to see what what occurs there. And I'm also I shouldn't keep looking at episode titles because I'm, I'm like seeing like titles of like oh is that a follow up to that? It's like no, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but folks, thank you very much for checking out the podcast. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back once again in two weeks with our next podcast. Until then, I mean, if you want to catch up on our past podcasts, you can do that. There's a heck of a lot to go through. Why not listen to us talk about Dark Awakening again? Because man, that was a ride. And then go from that to Starscream's Ghost, and man, that's a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, signing out, and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>